Welcome to Hour of Devastation, the weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me as always is Sam Neil. Hiya. How are you doing this week, Sam? Ah, you know. It's hard to verbalise how I feel most of the time. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> fully, fully understand that. Even the absolute state of everything still. <laughs> hey, we now live in officially the worst country in the world in terms of COVID, that's cool. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's a thing. It's still happening. It's not going on anytime soon. But yeah, you know, hey, some some of my family members have been vaccinated now, so that's a it's a, it's oh, a positive. The end good is news. in sight, at least. I think it definitely we makes hope. it a bit more a bit more real when you see like people you know like getting vaccinated. That's that's quite good. Yeah, and hopefully that'll be you know by the end of the year, most people will have had it. Yeah, my money's on October. Okay, cool, good. Please, <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm fine. I'm just, it's, every day is the same, as we say every week. It's all just the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm I'm alright, I think. Just, yeah, very much the same. Just living that Groundhog Day life every single day. I've played very, very little magic this week at all. Um, I've grinded mm-hmm. a bit on the arena ladder, uh, and now I'm in... Diamond one, I'm like three wins off Mythic, but I just can't nice. be bothered to can't be bothered to play. I think I've just grinded a little bit too much. I just yeah, that makes sense. Can't be bothered to play, and I've started learning to play chess instead. So that's uh, that's the thing I do now. <laughs> cool. All right. <laughs> Any particular uh, reason? Ah, uh, I, I just fancied it. Just just fancied it. I've always been sort of fascinated by the game, and it, it's it's really fun, uh, and it's really difficult, and I like that. It's a lot more mentally engaging than a. Uh, grinding best of one arena is yeah I can imagine that but it doesn't have cool dragons and stuff I mean it's got knights and castles and yeah stuff I guess yeah <laughs> close enough <laughs> yeah. I'll do you can't draw seven though that's that's one big downfall I think if they added like the ability to draw seven cards to, to chess that's that's what would really level it up <laughs> the next level I think or take an extra turn that would be a good one uh yeah, I think we should move on. <laughs> Take an extra turn in chess. <laughs> How's your your weekend magic been? Have you you managed to play much? Uh, no, not at all. I don't think. If I can remember, I don't know. Everything's blending into one. Um, no, I just built a new legacy deck. Sweet. What are you playing on legacy now then? Uh, high tide. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first oh. deck I ever proxied up. Um, it's so bad. I love it. It's yeah, it's terrible. They were like two results it posted in 2020 <laughs> as, a, as a deck um i mean that's of, two two more results than i posted in 2020 that's very true but um one of which was like a 24 person discord tournament um, <laughs> but yeah when like when i was first getting into magic and wanted to start playing legacy it was the first deck i proxied up sweet um, and yeah i really wanted to play it so i just got rid of the last of my absolute chaff and a bayou <laughs> and got some some time spirals nice Seems like a, a, a good thing to do, right? Yeah, it's also, so. it's also a deck I can really easily goldfish. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. Play play testing with that deck is kind of miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do you have a counter spell? No. Okay. Well, then I get to do this. It's also one of the only decks where you can, you know, generate sixty mana, generate twenty storm count, and then pass the turn. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm a big fan, big fan of that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You're speaking my language there. Yeah, uh, well, that's it's good it. fun. That's that's all I've, all I've done. I got some cool. sparrows. <laughs> Sweet, sweet. Well, we are now living in a world where we have the complete Kaldheim spoiler, so I think we should talk about a couple of cards quickly before we go on to, I guess, 
the bulk of our episode this week, which sure, is yeah. going to be a bit of a MTG Finance episode. I know you've, yeah. you've got some feelings on that this week. I just I have a lot of feelings that I feel I need to just say <laughs> at someone because I'm saying them constantly in my own head, and it's making me a little bit mad. So <laughs> sure, <laughs> take that energy and let's put it out into the world and let's yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah definitely get that out there. But yeah, first there's definitely. Uh, just a nice little handful of cards that I want to touch on from, from Caldheim that I'm super excited about. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so first up, I'm going to go with the obvious one. It's Doomscar. It's three white-white for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures. It also has Fortel, one white-white. Uh, during your turn, you may pay two and exile this card from your hand face down. Cast it on a later turn for the Fortel cost. So this is kind of Wrath of the God for three mana, or at least it's Wrath of the God that you can cast on turn three. It's my new favourite music genre. Yeah, <laughs> it's Doomscar. Doomscar, it is is fantastic, and I love it. Uh, the first thing I do when Kaldheim is out on arena is spend four rare wild cards and craft four of these because I'm hundred percent going to play these. Uh, it's really sweet. Yeah. It's you got that flexibility of being able to cast it late game uh, against your your mid range or other control decks. Uh, but then you've also just got that ability to cast it turn three, which is what you really need to do um, as a control deck against some of the aggro decks in standard at the moment. So I think it's great. Yeah. absolutely love this card. Yeah, I think this is easily top five Wraths ever printed. Yeah, easily, easily. I mean, LSV called it the second best Wrath ever printed uh, just after Wrath of God, and I I think I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, I think the top five comprises of Wrath of God, Supreme Verdict, Damnation, Terminus, and this, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's on my head. I think it sits there somewhere. I don't think it's. I don't think it's fifth either. I think it's yeah. just behind Wrath and Supreme Verdict. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah def- like, definitely somewhere. I think. I think it's. It's better than Damnation, like a hundred percent. And yeah, I don't know. Terminus is an interesting one. Definitely an interesting one. I think Terminus is very, very good, mainly because the cards that surround it are very, very good and make it work. Yeah, I think. I also think it's very, very good. I think my. I guess when you said top five, there, I think my instant one would have been like Settle the Wreckage to go there, but. I think, yeah, Terminus is probably a good shot there. Yeah, well, you know, it's just senses divine on top, brainstorm are really stupid cards, so yep. <laughs> Terminus becomes kind of good. Um, but yeah, this, this card's incredibly good. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to see play the entire time it's in standard, and I imagine it makes it into order formats as well. Yeah. Um, just being able to wrath on turn three, or just being able to wrath for three, for, for three mana, and just, you know, you often have two mana just lying around to, to go and I kind of put it on its forte. How do you? How are we gonna? Are we so because so, foretelling right is yeah putting and then you just cast it from your foretell zone. Uh, it's not a foretell zone. The card gets uh, gets exiled from your hand face down. Um, sort of. So they have they have foretell tokens to represent that. Like in the same oh, way that you have like on an adventure or morph sure. tokens and stuff. But it's. I guess not morph tokens because they're on the battlefield, but but that kind of thing. There is there is an actual token. It's got a nice little eagle sort of symbol on it. Uh, but yeah, we're okay, cool. gonna exile it face down, and then you can cast it on a later turn. So kind of like trap cards in Yu-Gi-Oh, I guess as well is the the big comparison I've seen. Uh, uh, sure, I guess, but you can only cast them with the timing restrictions of the card, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Unless cool. you've got a Deferi timer of in play, obviously. Oh, gross. <laughs> so that's gross. that's definitely an interaction that I think we'll we'll see somewhere. Like any deck that can play Teferi Time Raveler probably wants to play one or two Doomscar as well. I think it's great. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. It's a very good card. Cool. Uh next up I want to hit on another card that I just love. Absolutely love the design of this card. The art is amazing. And what's even better is the artist. Uh the artist who did the art on this card is called Chris Cold. And this is Icebreaker Kraken. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> 10 blue blue for a snow creature. It's a kraken. It's an 8 8. This spell costs one less to cast for each snow land you control. When Icebreaker Kraken enters the battlefield, artifacts and creatures target opponent controls don't untap during that player's next untap step. Return three snow lands you control to their owner's hand. Return Icebreaker Kraken to its owner's hand. Okay, so first off, this card is very bad. Uh, it, it is not great. I'll give you that. It's not great. <laughs> 12 mana 8 8. <laughs> it's a 12 mana 8 8 with no evasion that doesn't even tap the permanence that it says can't untap. Nope. <laughs> and it's not like you can flash it in as a blocker or to like, you know, when they attack, you can flash. Like, you just have to main phase cast this for, I don't know, probably on average eight mana, nine mana. Um, I don't know. It depend- depends. Well, I guess if you have Snowlands, maybe it costs a lot less, but yeah, I so I I can I can definitely see it seeing a non-zero amount of play in standard, like whether or not the deck that it'll be played in will be any good is is anyone's guess. But when like the, there's definitely some sort of like mill deck that wants to play this, it wants to play the Ruin Crabs, uh, it plays Icebreaker Kraken because you can return lands to your hand, and yeah, you just play Snow Basics and. I think there's a world where this this Kraken can see play in that in that deck like 100. Sure, but I, yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's you know it's going to be top eight in any pro tours or whatever we're going to call them in 21 2021 anytime soon. But I just love the design of it. It's it's huge. It's an eight eight. It's a Kraken. It has snow land shenanigans and yeah, big fan. The art is incredible as well. It might even be my favorite bit of art in the set. It is very cool. I'm a big sucker for uh, for massive sea creatures. Yeah, good job, Chris uh, Cold. Chris Cold, <laughs> very good. Uh, yeah, I like how we still keep trying to do affinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Just just to add like just one more uh, one more mechanic to the set. We've got affinity for snowlands. <laughs> yeah, like sure, <laughs> affinity for snowlands. Like, oh, they always do that. Though. They always put in some kind of thing that's. You know, a mechanic that isn't actually named, but we all know what it does. Yeah, like treasure tokens or vehicles or the abundance of other ones that we talked about the other week. Yeah, or things that just have landfall but don't say landfall; they just say yeah. Well, it's a battlefield. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's a cool card. I'd be surprised if this sees really any play, but <laughs> <laughs> a boy can dream. A boy can absolutely, dream. absolutely. Cool. Do you have any cards that you wanna you wanna touch on? I think Eradicate of Valkyrie is pretty funny. Yeah, I like how this this card very much just answers okay. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent hex proof from from plane from planeswalkers. Uh, so yeah, it's two black black for a four three angel berserker. It has flying life link and hex proof from planeswalkers. Uh, it also has boast one the black sacrifice a creature. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Yeah, it's an anti oko card, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Definitely feels like an anti oko card, or I guess just anti planeswalker card in general. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a world where you can play this in some sort of black-white cleric life gain deck with the uh, the cleric that you tap to make an angel. Any, I guess, any yeah. other sort of token maker. I, I think it, it it could it could genuinely be a, a real player in standard or historic. Yeah, I just think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> like giving something hexproof from planeswalkers after we've banned the the good planeswalkers, know, the, the good planeswalker <laughs> that targets creatures. Yeah, yeah. I just think I just think it's very good. Yeah, me too. Me too. How do you like it? Cool. Next up, I want to hit on Orvard the Allform. 
the, this is a card for sure. This is the a blue mythic if you've ever seen one. Uh-huh. Three and a blue for a legendary creature, shapeshifter. It's a three three. It's a changeling. And it has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more other permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. When a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. I imagine this is going to have some cool animations on Arena. Yeah, yeah, probably. I didn't even think about that. It's a mythic, so it's definitely going to have some animations. Yeah. Um, it just does nonsense. Yeah, this 100% seems like one of those ridiculously designed for Commander blue cards that are either awful or will just see the ubiquitous play. And I think this one's more so going to be on the, on the latter. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, blue instants and sorceries that target creatures you control that you want to cast over and over again. Yeah. I d- don't know. Maybe. I just, I, I like that they're just putting like a, a, a filler mythic every now and again. I don't, <laughs> don't really know what it exists for. It, like, it's just uh, yeah. the old form. So it's just a legendary changeling. Yep. When we already have a five color legendary changeling. Yeah. That does changeling things. And now we've got a mono blue one that just. Yeah, sure. It's just I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous clone <laughs> effects on, uh, <laughs> on your permanence. Like, it's not just creatures, it's permanence. Oh, yeah, so, sure, like, sure, sure. So, so many, so many things you can do. Is it spell? It's just, yeah, instant or sorcery. It's whenever, yeah, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more of a permanence you control, you create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. I mean, yeah. Sure. I mean, Time Vault's not legal in Commander, is it? No. Good. (laughs) Because, I mean, right right away, there's like, okay, Vintage Twiddle Time Vault. Copy a Time Vault and then untap one and tap the other one. Just (laughs) constantly take turns. (laughs) Is that necessary? Isn't that what you're doing with Time Vault and Voltaic anyway? Yeah, absolutely. But you you could, could, why not just stick one of these in there anyway? You pitch it, just a force of will. That's always the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you could say the same with Icebreaker Kraken. It's really, really bad, but it pitched the force of will. That, that's true. That is true. That is true. Just a one of in the Snow Codex. Seems perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it, to me, it just looks like one of those one of those ridiculous cards that I'm sure is going to see some sort of play across commander tables across the world. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cool. And then I guess finally we should probably touch on the runes because now we, we have the full rune cycle spoiled. We do. talk about those runes. They're um, they're not very good. Nope. (laughs) Which is good. I think that's good. I like that a lot. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, so we got Rune of Sustenance, Rune of Mortality, Rune of Speed, Rune of Might, and one more, which I seem to have lost. Excellent. Rune of... Can't find them at all. Rune of White. Rune of White. Yes. It is actually Rune... Ah, Rune of Sustenance. Rune of Sustenance, Rune of Flight, Rune of Mortality, Rune of Speed, and Rune of Might. There we go, got them all. Well done. So Sustenance is one in the white. Enchant Permanent, it's there, obviously they're all enchantments. Enchant Permanent, when Rune of Sustenance enters the battlefield, draw a card. As long as Enchant Permanent is a creature, it has lifelink. As long as Enchant Permanent is an equipment, it has equipped creature, has lifelink. Uh, rune of Flight, one in the blue for a rune. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. As long as Enchanted Permanent is a creature, it has flying. As long as Enchanted Permanent is an equipment, it has equipped creature, has flying. Rune of Mortality, same thing, but it's death touch. Uh, if it's attached to a creature, it has death touch. If Enchanted Permanent is equipment, equipment has death touch. Uh, I think that one could actually be a thing for standard. Uh, rune of Speed is 
the same as the others, except it gets plus one plus zero in haste uh, if it's a creature, or if it's a equipment, equipped creature gets plus one plus zero in haste. And rune and bite is the same thing, but it's plus one plus one in trample. Just they just remind me of the rings from M thirteen. Yeah, 13. very much. They like that, or they remind me of the the rune marks from Fate Forged as well. Yeah, but they can go on equipments. Yeah. So they turn your equipment since it's just. And they so draw, either, draw a card when they enter the battlefield. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's 2021. We can't, can't have a card that doesn't draw a card. Can't yeah, a card I mean, even, card even, the, even the white one does here. White card draw, we did it. Yeah, I mean, so are we meant to... So either you, you etch this rune into, like, your armor or a weapon, right? Or you etch it into your face? Yeah. Into your arm? I don't really... Yeah, that's, that's it. Of... I, I, I assume. Well, I assume maybe you like tattoo it on yourself. Maybe that's the the flavor there. Sure. Vikings have, have tattoos and stuff. Yeah. So you, yeah. you ever tattoo it on yourself, or you etch it or carve it into your your shield or your sword or your your braces or your helmet or whatever. And yeah, I think they're they're a nice little little flavor win. I think the only one that might see play. Oh, maybe maybe there's two that'll see play. I think Rune of Mortality will probably see play in standard I think just being able to stick that on an ember cleave seems very good uh, and then also yeah. rune, rune of flight is probably going to see play in historic I mean I look forward to drafting that card yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's I mean they all, seem, they all seem they all seem sort of reasonable for, for limited I think um, but I'm I'm just dead happy that they are just enchantments that don't really do a lot, and they're not broken things that we we feared they might have been. Yeah, I'm really glad that we know that. Was it Rune Forge Mystic, <laughs> whatever that yeah, card? Essentially, I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we now know that that card is a Volcra. Rune Forge Champion. That's Rune Forge Champion. Yeah, I'm glad we now know that is a Volcra. Yeah, because <laughs> that card is bad. Because it fetches bad cards, right? There's no yeah. way that's good. Oh yeah, no, I don't think that's good. I don't think it's good at all. Um, like maybe. Maybe it goes in your enchantment deck, uh, and then you can use it to tutor up these enchantments from your from your. I don't know. It's it's it's. That seems if anything, bad. it's your casual commander enchantment deck, maybe. But uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's competitive, and that's fine. Good. Yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Sweet. Is there any more you, you want to touch on before we move on? I guess we should probably talk about Raydan. Raydan, right? Briefly. Yeah, go for it. Redain. Uh, two and a white for a 2-3, Flying Vigilance Guard. Snow lands your opponent's control into the battlefield tapped, and non-creature spells your opponent's cast with converting mana cost 4 or greater, cost 2 more to cast. And then it has backside, uh, three and a white for an energy artifact. If a source and opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent one of that damage whenever you or another permanent you control becomes target of spell ability and opponent controls, counter that spell or ability and a 6 controller plays 1. Whew. We have Snow Hate, so that's kind of cool. Yep, I right. I love that. I don't think it's very good snow hate, but nope. it is it is snow hate, which is good. Um, you know the fact that like before before this card there was zero snow hate. The fact that there is one snow hate is a good <laughs> yeah. one, but it's it's good that it exists. And yeah, I hope yeah. we see more sort of things like that in the future. Like yeah, prior to this there was zero reasons to play basic lands over snow covered lands, and now there's one reason. I still don't um, think that's a good. good enough reason. <laughs> I I mean it's 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 not, but the fact that it's gone from from zero to one is is it, it's big. It's big. It's measurable. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, like, 
it it still doesn't. I think Snowlands are still strictly better than Basic Lands, even though this card exists. Oh, they're not strictly better now. They were, but now they're not. Well, they are. Right? Why would they not be? Well, because this card exists. Yeah, but I think I don't Therefore, think this makes enough of a splash to make it actually relevant. No, but like, the word the word strictly doesn't apply now because there is a reason why they're not always better. Joe, I'm a magic player. <laughs> I, I like to speak in hyperbole, okay? This is exactly, they're still exactly. strictly better. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? I do I do love this card though. I absolutely know, love this card. Yeah, but yeah. Regular non snow cover base lines are strictly worse because they can't cast Arkham's Astrolabe. That makes them strictly worse than Snowlands. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's how it works. Uh, potentially. Yeah, potentially. Uh, yeah, I, I do love this card though. I think I I usually just do not go in for stuff like this at all. This is kind of like the antithesis of like cards that I play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the backside especially just is a, is a lovely, lovely anti-storm card. Can't be destroyed by abrupt decay. Hate it. Will hate playing against it if that's something that ever happens. But yeah, I, I love it. I think this is a this is a fantastic design for a card, and I want to see more like this. I want to see like when we're innovating card design. Like, give me this type of thing any day of the week instead of like a planeswalker with a static ability and three plus abilities like 100 percent yeah i i, I did I enjoy my, uh sorry go on. So, so i think like my only my only criticism is that uh, i wish the stats were a little worse so you could get with uh, recruiter of the guard in yeah. your sort of i guess maverick style decks or death and taxes style decks that, that would want to play this just being able to tutor up that shield yep. uh, as a nice silver bullet against storm decks would have been fantastic I think three toughness is the difference between this being nice but not playable and an actual include in death and taxes lists. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Which is unfortunate, but I, I did love that. You know, Gavin Verhey went on about how they'd learned from Snow and how people didn't like Snow, and they took that with them into designing cards from Caldheim and tweaking them and stuff. And then we came up with one Snow Hate card. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've we've got one Snow Hate card, but I think there's. There's nothing that stands out as, as broken in, in terms of like playable snow cards in the set. No, like, no, I agree. You know, when you look at cards in the past, I mean, you know, you look at Astrolabe, which was obviously broken in multiple formats, uh, and then you look at good cards like Ice Van Quattle, uh, which is is good. I don't think there's anything quite as powerful as even Ice Van Quattle in, in this set, which. Like, again, it's good. I think that that was kind of the fear that like every single card which had snow on it would have been that sort of power level, but they're not, and that's good. I think you know we've seen the whole set of Caldheim, and I I think it looks fantastic. I think it, it looks and feels a little bit different to how I always imagined Caldheim would be, but I love it. I love that Vorinclex is the only Phyrexian and the only reference to Phyrexia in any of the cards that I've seen so far. 100% down for that. Uh, I love all of the new sagas. I think the new sagas are fantastic. Uh, I love the stupid mythic red dragon. New planeswalkers are really cool. And there's some just some weird and strange cards as well. Nothing looks busted, but some things definitely look powerful. And yeah, I love it. Big, big fan of the set. Yeah, definitely. I'm very excited about it. I, I do like that Snow is just sort of... It's there for theme and there yeah. to make Limited more interesting. Yeah. And that's good. Like I, I like that. It still feels... Even if, like... Even if none of the snow cards end up being playable and constructed, it's still going to very much impact the limited environment, and it's it still gives that feel of the set. Like it still feels like Caldheim is covered in snow, right? Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. I love it. So, big big fan across the board. Uh, I can't wait to play it. Very very excited. 
Yeah, I'm very excited to open like 17 cases of this. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet, awesome. So, speaking of opening cases, obviously that's going to have strong financial implications. Uh-huh. So we we swiftly, swiftly move on to our, our main topic, I guess. Yeah, I, I know you've got some, some strong feelings on hashtag MTG Finance this week, so let's let's talk about it. Let's get into it. I think it, it's not that often we sort of talk finance on this podcast, but I think it's something that we are both very much aware of and, and interested in and, and do you know, at least I, I like to think that we understand it and yeah yeah definitely definitely got some some feelings on it it's one of my favorite aspects of the the hobby i think yeah it's, i mean it's a hobby unto itself right oh 100 um, yeah I, so i don't i don't have like a coherent plan of what i'm going to say which you know is no different to any other week on this podcast <laughs> but there were just a lot of things especially with uh, recent things Going on specifically with with Brexit and EU prices and magic card months, magic card market specifically, there's just a lot of things going on right now, and a lot of people who don't really know what they're talking about are talking about <laughs> magic finance, which again, very not very different to every other week. Um, but there's just a few things that are going on, like prices of cards and stuff, and everything going on with uh, the reserve list um, during the pandemic and everything. Um, so I, I don't really know where to start, but there's a lot of stuff going on yeah right so if we we can look at card prices during yeah. the, during, during the pandemic which we all sort of expected to go down for some kind of reason because oh, yeah you, that's it I, I think the the initial expectation was well people can't attend events all the events have been cancelled there's no magic fests there's no gps or whatever there's no big tournaments so why are people going to play why are people going to buy paper cards when they can't play I have um, a lot more experience in, in this field than I have done previously when we've talked about finance in that I now work full-time in a magic shop <laughs> and I see the orders that people make right yeah. and we're not, we're not we're not the biggest in the country certainly not the biggest in the world by any margin but we we get consistent orders and they all look almost exactly the same they're all just single cards commander orders that's that's all that happens right yeah um, now we ordinarily we would have gotten standard orders people buying standard decks. Some people are still building standard decks, which I find wild. Every now and again we'll get, like, you know, four offs for the rogues deck. I'm like, where are you playing this that isn't illegal? But, um, <laughs> and why is it not just on Arena? Uh, but, yeah, Commander is still being played. Is this, this is the crux of that, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I would even argue that Commander is being played more than ever. Um, I think yes. Because of things like Spell Table, because of things like, like Discord, and the fact that yes, there is a pandemic on, that means you have a lot of people that have been furloughed from from work. They, you know, they they maybe have had reduced hours at work. Maybe they've lost their jobs, or they have situations where they have to spend a lot more time at home. And a lot of those people are also magic. Well, I guess not a lot of those people. Uh, a lot of magic players are in that situation. Um, and yeah, just when you've got you've got to stay at home and you have magic is is your primary hobby. Obviously, you, you're going to want to play it, and if Commander is your thing, then 100% there are ways out there to play Commander that honestly do at times really feel like you are replicating a game of, of Commander and paper. And I know, like for myself, Definitely, like yeah. I was never a fan. You know, well documented on this podcast, I was never a fan of Commander <laughs> at all. Yep. <laughs> and then I played Commander with my friends during a pandemic, and now. You know, my feelings on the format have changed slightly, 
but my feelings on the the experience of sitting down and playing a game of Commander have changed wildly. I'm absolutely massive fan, and I, it's been a it's been a fantastic resource for me. Just having that that good social interaction social interaction over magic again. I told you. Yeah. <laughs> how many times did I tell you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't matter how you really feel about Commander; it's the people you play with. Yeah. If you play with people that you get that you get on with and you like and they're nice, then you're gonna have a good time. Um. Yeah, Commander's still going strong. And it's going stronger than it was before. And people are still buying Commander cards. But, like, it's, it, all we sell is just... All, all, I, all I pick out of boxes is just one-offs. One-offs of Commander decks, whether that's the flavour of the month that has been because of a new spoiler, like we've sold all of our elf cards, right? Because it's elf, elf tribal in um, yeah. in, in Kaldheim. Um, whether that be, you know, random things for, for the, the Araumi deck or the Abeka deck out of Commander Legends, right? Um, these things just sell, whether it's what you know, whatever they've talked talked about on the command zone. Right? You can look at Jessica's will. Yeah. They mentioned that it should probably go in every red deck, which I disagree with, but I won't get into that. Um, and every copy sold, and the price quadrupled overnight because people just went on it, and the price just went up. Um, and people are still buying these cards, and a lot of the time, people that play Magic tends to be fairly well off, fairly comfortable people who are able to work from home and still have relatively well-paying jobs, so they still have the disposable income, right? And obviously, you know, yeah. there are a lot, of, a lot of people that are in the position to still play Magic, and I don't want to get into a whole conversation about the accessibility of Magic and everything <laughs> like that, but the people that play Magic who can afford to spend their excess income on this, you know, expensive luxury hobby tend to still have that income in situations like this where they're probably not going to lose their job because they're probably in some kind of office job that can be done from home and still pays a reasonable wage, and they're not at risk of losing anything, right? Yes, they can very, still very afford. So. so they can still afford to put their disposable income into magic. Um, and then you couple that with the fact that GPs aren't happening. Yeah, right? magic magic events aren't happening at least at least in Europe and the states. Um, well, I think there are some happening in some parts of Europe. I think I've seen you know photos of ones in Italy and stuff where they're all masked up and and, and what have you. But yeah, events aren't there's, there's there's been some some level some varying levels of install play has continued throughout the world but none of it is is officially supported by wizards of the coast currently and those you know eight to 16 person fnm events are a far cry away from the the magic vests which were happening pretty much every weekend that were just attended by thousands of people globally yeah and that's that's where uh, vendors got the majority like the bulk of their their cards right yeah, it's. Where they, where, where I say it's where the, the the vast majority of the the big the big names in in, in magic, uh, I guess magic commerce buying and selling the magic cards. It's it's where they where they stock up. It's where they they sell some cards, but mostly it's it's where they got to buy. It's where the where the supply chain begins and ends, really. Yeah, and you see that between different vendors as well. They move stock between each other because there's stuff that sells better in you know. APAC countries than it does in the states, and it sells yeah. better in Europe than it does in the states. Um, so people moving, but it's it's just moving. So you go with X thousand, you know, X thousand pounds um, to just buy stuff in, and you'll make some sales and make some money or whatever. But it's just I've got a bunch of stock now that I can sell, and I sell at a premium because I'm a store, not a person. Um, and with that not happening because of COVID, because of these events not being on, it means that stocks are dwindling, right? Yeah, much more of the bulk of a percentage of, of magic cards in circulation are in the hands of people who have them and people that would normally only sell cards if they went to a GP dump a couple of fat pack bundle boxes onto someone's desk sit there for a couple of hours and then walk away with the cards they wanted Yeah. but now those boxes are just sitting wardrobe sitting on a desk somewhere 
and they're not being sold because one, it's not safe to go out and sell them, right? Even if you have an LGS that would buy cards off, even if you have an LGS that would buy cards off, you, you can't go there currently. Um, it's not safe to go there. Maybe they're, you know, they're not doing that kind of thing. Um, you're not comfortable posting cards. You, or maybe you just don't, you know, don't live anywhere near somewhere that would price up cards for you and give you an offer. So a lot of people just have a lot of cards just sitting around that aren't in circulation, that aren't being bought and sold. So I mean, if you look on card market, just the the amount of the amount of each card that isn't from these sets, right? Because yeah, the other way people get the bulk of their collections is <laughs> opening a bunch of sealed product. But the older cards are starting to dry up slightly as people keep buying them because they still want them for, for Commander and for older formats. Um, and they just aren't in circulation anymore. So the price yeah. of these things are starting to creep up as well because there's a premium for them. If there are 30% less... Um, 30% less... I don't know. I can't think of a card that hasn't been printed in the last year. Um, you know, 30% less Snapcasters, right? I, don't, I, yeah. I, I, I haven't got the actual data for Snapcaster currently. I think the price is relatively stable, but... There are thirty percent less Snapcasters just available for for buy and sale, right? Yeah, the price can go up because there's still a demand for them, but there isn't there isn't as much supply, and it's it's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah, and that's it. I think that's the thing that we are we are seeing currently with with the old cards, with the reserveless cards specifically. Like once again, uh, we're seeing mass mass buyouts of old reserveless cards because there's no supply chain currently, so those cards aren't moving. Therefore, the people who have the money to spend on those cards, they can just buy up the last of the cards that are available jack up the prices and then you know when when things do open again when you know stores are buy listing again their buy list prices will be higher arguably more you know higher than they're, they're buying the cards for now and they can just dump them and, and load them onto them i think with reserveless stuff specifically it's always very interesting just to see at the times when those cards are, are being bought out and spiking and stuff and a lot of the time it, it seems to be moving really really in, in line with uh, with the price of bitcoin and mm-hmm. we're seeing yep. Bitcoin at all times high. Um, you know, has been for the, the past couple of months. It's been it's been sort of up and down a little bit, but it's it's been astronomical how high Bitcoin is. So you're seeing a lot of people with that kind of money from that kind of world selling off their Bitcoin, buying expensive old Magic cards, jacking up the prices of that, and then you know we'll see eight months time when the, the price of bitcoin's low and starts to level off again they'll start dumping those back into the market and it's a, it's a cycle that we see time and time again and every time it happens those cards sort of stick a little bit higher every time but it's yeah. it's just phenomenal just to see what's happening this time like in the past yeah. when it, it's happened there were magic fests and you know those the, the supply chain was there so the cards that were being targeted and bought out it was stuff like it was like power nine it was revised dual lands it was it was all of these cards that see a lot of play um but now it's pretty much anything like if it's on the reserve list it's gonna it's gonna just be pumped to astronomical measures um yep literally you, know, you look go to mtgstocks.com and just have a look at like trending trending cards for the past week you've got like currently fork fork has gone from 32 dollars 92 cents to 299 dollars over the space of a week really pissed off i saw like, yeah, I've got three in a deck box in front of me. <laughs> yeah, because uh, this thing they know, were never like, like obviously, like obviously, like that's not a price that will stick. We've we've seen that before in the past as well. Like look at Underground Sea, uh, and yep. was it like Magic Fest Vegas three years ago, two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, whenever like the last big buyout was. You had stores stores that were buy listing. They were purchasing like revised Underground Seas for seven hundred dollars. And now, like now, what? Like, <laughs> you well, look now, at now the now the 200, market price. 250? Yeah, now the market price is like six, 
600 about that currently yeah for buying and selling I, i've got a lot of points i want to go off from this which is yeah good. go for it um so i mean first of all talking about bitcoin I, I on the way to work the other day there was a billboard and it said when you see bitcoin on a billboard it's time to buy and i thought that's literally the worst advice who's seeing that and thinking oh yeah someone's told me to buy bitcoin i should definitely buy bitcoin <laughs> like i mean yeah uh yeah i i have i have thoughts and feelings about that but i'm also like a white guy talking on my podcast and there's plenty of that plenty of that out there already i mean you know i think anything I like like, like like anything finance wise like the best time to buy it was yesterday and the best time to sell it is in 10 years time like yeah exactly 100%, 100%, 100%. Never, that's the thing yeah, that's um, it. That's, that's it. Hundred percent. That's that's true of, of certainly reservist cards, and if not magic cards in general. Um, yeah, definitely. I think if it comes to Bitcoin yeah. specifically, if you are thinking of buying it, do not do it now. Um, while it's at yep. the current all-time high, yep. uh, would look to purchase it in six months' time. Um, but I, I, there's somebody who is who is heavily interested and slightly invested in that world. Uh, I, I think it is a, a good investment, but th- that is not financial advice. Do not do, do not do what I tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, do what a random billboard in the middle of Birmingham tells you. Apparently, mm. I like how you just ruined all of your credibility by saying you're into Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've got a I've got a Bitcoin story that I'll tell I'll tell someday. <laughs> I just uh, I just love that you have this persona and then just like, oh yeah, it's really into crypto as well, which doesn't match with any of the rest yeah. of it. Really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's that's what's happening. And and talking about you know the buy list prices of underground sea. I think there's a fundamental, and this this is something that I've you know gotten more and more to terms with in 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 working for for a magic store full time is that people fundamentally don't understand how a magic store works, <laughs> and when you see stores buy listing underground sea for seven hundred dollars when the market price at that time was like nine hundred probably, yeah, um, it, it <laughs> they're flipping them immediately. They're selling them to people who will buy them. Like they're not spending seven hundred dollars on that and just sitting on them. Yeah. They're spending seven hundred dollars on underground sea and then selling it the next day for seven fifty eight hundred. Normally for cash in hand if they're doing it at places in the like GPs, and making just a very small profit on that. Yeah. The the, the, the profit margins most of the time on buying and selling reserve stuff is very small. When you have spikes like this and buyouts like this, then sure people are looking to make a bunch of money. But that is, you know, <laughs> legitimately a shadowy cabal of dudes that just have bottomless pockets who can just afford to put money into basically anything. Like, if there was a certain, you know, old watch that had been bought out, like, they can put the money into anything, right? They don't care about it. Yeah, maybe yeah. they just have an interest in magic because they played it as a kid or whatever. Maybe they still play magic. And it's just something they're vaguely okay with. But they'll just put it into anything. You look at the same thing with Pokemon cards with the whole, was it Jake Paul? Logan Paul? What yeah, Logan Paul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole thing with that, just a bunch of people who just have a bunch of spending power and a bunch of disposable capital just put money into, into Pokemon cards. And now, old Pokemon cards like first edition are just insane. The price is yep. just absurd. Um, and those people don't care about Pokemon. They don't. They don't have a connection with it. They don't play it. They just know. Ah, oh, this is a thing that I can put loads of money in, dry the market up to a point where I can just determine the price, or me yep. and a bunch of buddies can just determine the price. And this is what happens with reservist cards, right? So all of the underground seas get bought. So now the price is, well, I'm going to say, $800. And then they put them back on the market at $800, and then they're back in the market again, and slowly the price goes to the, starts to go down. As demand goes down, people aren't buying them as much. But they've already made their money, and that's what's happening right now. It's just that, like you say, the supply chain is just broken, because yep. there are no GPs, there are no big events for people to meet up and, and, and trade these cards and buy these cards. And that's what's currently happening. But people don't, don't seem to like 
just just understand how a magic store works. When I, I'm not just some person that wants to just trade magic cards all day because that doesn't pay my wages. <laughs> I can't make money off just trading cards. I need to be making a profit. And it, again, like talking about you with with being into crypto and how it's kind of at odds with the rest of your personality. Um, I don't mean that in a mean way, but I think you're not. Oh, I mean. no, no, I definitely <laughs> agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, people people know who I am as a person, and and being uh, so heavily invested in this sort of commercial capitalist thing, buying and selling cards and making a profit on it, is very odds with that. But I feel kind of okay with it because uh, there's no real point. On the chain where anyone's being exploited, and that's kind of how I justify it. That's how I justify being interested in energy finance and making money off magic cards is that no one is being exploited along the chain. Maybe someone's paying a few extra quid for, on a card than they could have done elsewhere, but that's a choice. They, that's a choice they made, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to shout people. I'm not trying to scalp people. Um, but if I'm so say, I always like to use Snapcaster as a as a uh, as a base. But like, say Snapcaster is thirty pounds market price, right? Yeah. You go on card market, you go on TCG player. Again, like the American European markets, I'll touch on that in a bit, but the American European mar- European markets aren't in sync at all. Like different things are different prices there, so you can't base if you're trying to trade in Europe using American prices is just absurd, you shouldn't do it. But say <coughs> start customer, it's about thirty pounds market price, right? If you post it on one of the Facebook groups, one of the buy buy and sell groups, you'd probably look to sell it for about thirty pounds, buy it for about thirty pounds. Yeah. That's the accepted price of Snapcast image, roughly. Now I'm gonna offer you twenty if you're sending it to me as someone that works in a magic store that's trying to make money off it. Because I'm assuming that, first of all, you're going to give me a lot a lot of cards in one go because you can't do the work yourself. And that's fine. That's I'm providing a service for you in that, in that situation, right? I'm taking yeah. one of your cards and giving you money. And it's, uh, it's, a, guarantee, maybe, it's a guarantee sale where you, you, yep. post, you post a list of cards up that you have that you want to sell on a Facebook group. There's absolutely no guarantee that anybody is going to buy those cards. Stuff like Snapcaster Mage and no. you know popular cards, yeah, sure, probably somebody will, but you can be there with your guarantee. Yeah, you'll get slightly less money, but you're guaranteed to sale. You'll have the cash in your hand, you know, pretty much instantly. And there we go. That saves you having to wait. Saves that that you know that that being unsure whether or not your cards are going to sell. Yeah, and then I'm going to turn around and try and sell it for thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Because yeah. I'm a, because I I'm a representative of a retailer. I'm going to put it on my website. Um, who has you know like over a decade of trusted sales yeah um, that's it again which it I'm a trusted reach, retailer. removes that removes that, yeah. that uncertainty like yeah you know you can go on a facebook group and say i want to buy a, a snapcaster mage oh I, I i can't see anybody that has any for sale or oh, this person has one for sale oh i'll message them or oh, they haven't got it anymore oh i'll message them or oh, they haven't messaged back to me yeah i can just go to your website sure i might have to pay five six seven ten pounds more but it's right there and i know you know within two three working days or whatever it's going to be right in my doorstep yep yeah i think you get you get an email once you've bought it you have a receipt with with paypal through through whom you've paid you have a confirmation for us that we've shipped it if you pay for track shipping we give you the tracking information as soon as you request it um and then it arrives and then if it doesn't arrive you know exactly who to contact where else we're not going to disappear we're not going to you lose our entire business over a thirty pound sale, right? Yeah, we're going to talk to you and we're going to come to some kind of arrangement. So that's what that's what you're paying for, right? You're paying for that for that service. And I don't think people understand that. We're like, well, I could buy this for thirty pounds on the trade group. I said, well, do then, or our card market where there is a, again, or TCG player, there is a system in place, but it's still just random jabronis on the on both ends of the line, right? Yeah, and you, there's no accountability there. Really, there there are systems yeah. in place, but they can just not respond to messages and just ghost you, and then. They have your money and you don't have a card right um 
so you can do that if you if you want and you know those systems work and i you know do those kinds of things all the time i buy off card market constantly buy off the trade group very often and sell on the trade group um but with us there's a there's a trust there you know you're going to get the cards and often you will get a lot of cards in one go from us so yeah. rather than having to make a post of like all these 20 and 50p cards and these three pound cards that, that you have to get from all these different places and pay loads of postage you just get them all from us in one go hopefully <laughs> assuming we have them in stock uh, though obviously at the moment it's kind of hard to get those that, that stock in um, but that's why we charge a premium right and I'm trying to make money on it because once, once you add VAT which we've got to pay and once you add time taken by a paid member of staff to list that card and price that card all of that these these margins add up right and they've still got to make money because <laughs> it's a shop yeah. um, and that's what shops do that's what businesses do we have to make money again I hate talking like this because it's just horrible capitalist jargon but it's also true um, and, and that's the difference between me and some random person that you agree a trade with over Facebook or Twitter or whatever and people, people will come to me and try and sell cards and I'll be like yeah. okay I'll give you this and then they'll take that as absolute gospel and be like no I can sell it for more I'm like go ahead go do that Right, go go deal with random people and see if you can sell all these cards individually to those people for the price that you want. That you, or you can just give them all to me right now. And also, like, if I offer you a price, please please bargain with me. Please talk to me. Please have a conversation with me because I'm gonna try and I'm gonna tell you the price that I want to pay. And then if you want to pay, depending on what the cards are, right? If they're like random niche EDH foils, I have absolutely no interest in buying them. So if it's worth four hundred pounds, I'm gonna offer you eighty quid and hope that you don't take it. <laughs> I'm going to offer you much less than it's worth because I do not want it and I want you to say no but if you do say yes then I can buy it for 80 then sell it as one of the cheapest right and sell it for 250 quid which is incredibly cheap for people who would buy that on the yeah. market and I make money right it's, 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 it's these very simple transactions but I don't want them whereas if you're just giving me a bunch of like shark lands for example or you know soul rings or command towers like I'll just I'll, I'll pay a reasonable price on them because I can flip them tomorrow as soon yeah. as they've, I've been listed on the website they're gone and that, that's that affects the amount of the, the amount that I'm willing to pay. If you come and say I've got a whole, I've got a full collection of Kalalesh masterpieces, <laughs> I'm gonna lowball you, and I'm gonna hope that you say, no, okay, I still kind of want them. I'm not gonna refuse them because I still want to be made, but I'm probably gonna say no because I have no interest in acquiring something that's that expensive that I then have to sell for a big premium to a very small percentage of the market. It's much easier to sell Shocklands than it is. I'd yeah, rather have three hundred pounds of Shocklands than it must be sorrow, right? Much easier to sell. Much easier to move. Yeah. <laughs> and then people will then look at those websites. They will, you know, all the all the popular UK um, retail websites, all of which I've used, and they're very very good. Um, and then we'll say, oh well, Magic Madhouse are selling it for forty pounds, so I'm going to sell it for forty pounds. No one's going to buy it for forty pounds. If they were going to buy it for forty pounds, they'd buy it off Magic Madhouse for forty pounds. And again, as I've just explained, they're a trusted retailer who have all these systems in place, who you have accountability with, who will guarantee that the card is going to get shipped to you. And if it gets lost, you can have a conversation with them and come to some come some come to some kind of agreement on compensation. Some random person, if it gets lost in the post, they can just ghost you forever. They can block you on Facebook, block you on yeah. Twitter, you're gone. Right? You've just lost your you lost your money. Um, and also, they're trying yeah. to make money, and also they have most of the cards you want to buy in stock. You're some random guy who's just selling random crap hoping to get a bite. Right. I'm not gonna pay you I'm not I'm not going to buy it off you for that price. That's absurd. Do your research when it comes to pricing. So wait, it's it, I guess no, this now bleeds into the, the magic card market side of the conversation, right? With uh, uh Brexit and what have you. 
yeah, I think so. I think so. Which I th- I think is a that's it. I think that that's that's definitely a little bit of uncharted territory. I think at the moment, given that we, <laughs> given that that we've done a Brexit, that's the thing that's happened, and there the, the, the may there may or may not be some some new rules and regulations that may or may not be applied that everybody's still kind of unsure of, but. The, yeah, you know. I will say um, right now, at time of recording on the twentieth of January, um, both personally and as a store, I have made several purchases through Card Market yep. with uh, European sellers, um, and all of them have the disclaimer through the Card Market website: there will be delays. You're expected to pay a customs fee, and I haven't yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm the same. So if I've, you're a cop listening, that was a lie. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've only made one transaction uh, on card market from a European country since Brexit so far, and that was a purchase of Palancron from France. Uh, it arrived in like five days, which was somehow quicker than <laughs> buying cheaper cards from yes. the, <laughs> within the UK. Absolutely crazy. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I didn't didn't get any any extra charges or anything on that, uh, and I I don't know if I should have or not. It's. Uh, Love living living will, in, living in this point, country. I will, yeah, I, I will point out that the the reason that happened as someone who's also worked for Royal Mail, so I, I am all, any any part of the MTG finance conversation, I have some kind of input yep. and some kind of lived experience stuff. Um, is that international things come in, come through separately than English things, right? So like English things get put in a massive pile of like all the stuff they've had since before Christmas because yeah. everyone's off sick and there's a pandemic and it was Christmas and people are buying online more than ever. Um, the international stuff can come in and go straight back out. It's very, it's much easier to move. So when you're like waiting for three days for stuff from Germany, or you know, well, I, a month I had for like, stuff from the UK. yeah, I had like a, a so I had ordered something from Japan before Christmas, and it took like nine days in total from it to to arrive from Japan. Yep, same. And I ordered, uh, I ordered some magic cards that took like two weeks to arrive from within the UK. Like, <laughs> yeah, because they're having to they're having to traverse the UK postal system. Yep. And go from post office where there are people off sick to the sorting center where there are people off sick in transit where there are people off sick to the distribution distribution center where there are people off sick. Whereas, like, I mean, the European countries are kind of doing better than us um, in terms of COVID, and they can just come straight to us and only have to go to the distribution distribution center. Really, there's less that has to go around on that process, so it's it's much easier to get international stuff quicker than it is UK yeah. stuff currently. Generally, I think I'm pretty sure I'm right on that vaguely <laughs> uh, but it's not just like oh your stuff's lost in the post like stop calling me and telling me your stuff's lost it's not it's a pandemic and it's been Christmas please stop um, but yeah like I've completely forgot my trains before <laughs> um, completely forgot where I was. and do your own research on prices yes do your own research on prices Jesus Christ do not just look at a price of a card and pick the like pr- prime example right I had a 8th edition foil felwar stone right yep in EX condition in English, so on card market, if I change the filters to English language, minimum condition, excellent, the average price was about 110 to 120 euros. Yeah. I did not want that card anymore. I wanted the money for other cards, and I wanted a quick sale, right? So I listed it for 69 pounds. Nice. Mainly lost money exactly for that reason. <laughs> Because sixty nine is a funny number, and I wanted to make a sale. And I also, also one of the things is I knew that I would get traction on that post. Yeah, I knew that I would get laugh reacts for putting sixty nine pounds on a f- stupid foil felwar stone, <laughs> and I got like twenty five reactions that got it more into people's algorithms. More people noticed it, and I got a sale quicker. That's something to put on as well. All the funny posts and stupid posts you see, all the posts of people, uh, people posting pictures of their cats for attention, work. Right? If you get more engagement with your post, you'll get more traction. You'll get a sale quicker, or a purchase quicker if you're doing it because you want to buy cards. So I 
I did take a bit of a hit on that, but also wanted to move it, and I knew I knew what I was doing. Right? I'm not just like some idiot who's underselling their cards. I'm like, okay, I know how much this is worth. I also know that no one's going to pay that price on it because it's an extremely niche EDH foil that's potentially was going to get printed in Commander Legends at that time. Um, it could have shown up in Commander Legends as a foil, so that means the premium on eighth and ninth edition foils will just go out, go down the toilet. Yeah. Um, so like, okay, I'm going to sell this, and then I have money to do X, right? Um, and then some jabroni was like, I can buy this for 25 euros on card market. I'm like, okay. You can buy an incredibly beat up, listed as poor Italian copy from an Italian seller. You can do that. So you can buy, buy a premium, like, blinged out card in horrible condition, if you want, in, in the MT, what, what is in the MTG circle, at least in this country, a less desired language. Right? Yeah. Because the desired languages are Japanese and Russian and Korean to a certain extent and then any European language is worth less than an English copy generally um, and you can wait a month for it to be shipped from Italy if you want or you can pay me £69 and I'll put it in a special delivery envelope and you'll get it tomorrow and it will be an excellent English copy so if you just look at the first if you just type in Felwar Stone and click foil on card market look oh it says €25 Euros. that's not the price of the card Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's completely absurd like Look at the other sales, look at where they're coming from, look at the type of seller they are, whether they're a professional, a power seller, or just some random person who you will, will have to take a small amount of risk on. Um, the, the middling prices are generally what it is. Make sure you're looking at the correct condition, make sure you're looking at the correct language, because European language copies, or non-English copies, that aren't Japanese or Russian, are worth less. That's just how it works. They just are. Um, so if you're trying to determine the price of your name in English copy and you're looking at beat-up French copies, that's not the right place. Yes. Um, and those are the cards. Those are real-time sales, right? Yeah. Those, that's a real-time market influence. That's, that's why I absolutely those... love Magic Card Market for for the pricing yeah. of cards. It is it's actual yeah. market data. You can see trends. You can you can see that that's it's live articles for sale. It's like if I I guess sort of you know not something that I, I will do with every card, but a good heuristic I think is you go to Card Market and you. you check your filters on so you, you filter for whatever language condition version of that card it, it is and then you know we're in the UK some people in the UK what I like to do is switch the the filter to sellers in the UK and then I like to be the cheapest seller in the UK yep that's, that's, what, that's what I do very very rarely am I in any sort of rush to sell those to sell those cards if I am then I'll find the cheapest one available and make it cheaper than the cheapest one available doesn't matter where it is but vast majority of the time, I'm not in a rush to sell any of the cards, so I I always aim to be in the cheapest seller in whichever country that I'm in at the time, which ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time is England. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing as well. Also, uh, understand your motivation for selling. Yeah. Understand why you're selling. If you're just like, okay, I have a bunch of cards that are worth X amount of money, I'd like to sell them at some point because I don't really use them anymore, and I'd like to get money for them. If you don't need the money or you don't want the money for another purchase, list them at a reasonable price. List them at the price that they're currently going for on car market, and at some, at some point, someone will buy it, right? And you'll probably make a sale. Yeah. Don't price it at that price, maybe even higher than that price, because that's the amount you want for it, and just post it relentlessly every 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> buy my card, buy my card, buy my Force of World that's worth, you know, the, like the Double Masters extended out Force of World. It's currently going for £140, £140, I need to make a quick sale. And if you want to make a quick sale, sell it for 100 quid, you get the money instantly, and you've probably still made money because you probably cracked from a boost pack. Mm. If <laughs> understand your motivation for selling, if you're really trying to sell something, underprice it. That's what I did. Yeah. That's what I do constantly. And, and understand that 
don't, I mean, don't sell yourself short, I guess, but like if you've paid 20 quid for a card and it's gone up to 30, you sell it for 25, you've already made a profit. Yeah. And you will sell because you're the cheapest. And, you know, going into talking to selling and buying into spikes is a whole another conversation that I really can't bother to talk about. <laughs> um, <coughs> but that's, that's the, the general rule. Like, if you want to sell, sell cheap. If you want to just sell at some point and get move your cards, then price them accordingly and eventually you'll get a sale. Yeah. But just relentlessly posting the market price isn't going to, like, no one's going to choose to buy yours over anyone else for any particular reason. They might see it first, sure, but you just constantly posting it isn't going to make any real difference. But there has been a whole thing with, with, with Brexit and like the customs charges we to, alluded to earlier. I imagine, this is entirely speculation, the reason that no one has received, really, that I've heard of, um, has received customs charges through buying from card markets since we actually left the European Union is because it's an entirely new system. Yeah. And the amount of parcels that now require a customs declaration and charge, potential charge, you know, uh, and all that stuff, has increased by like 500% overnight. <laughs> and the infrastructure was not there. <laughs> and therefore you won't get charged. Because when, when things are coming through before from, from uh, APAC countries and from the States and Canada, and uh, you know, like, they, they required a customs form. And that was decades of infrastructure to get those customs in place. Yeah and to potentially charge you for things. Now suddenly, loads of countries who the post has just been floating through freely this entire time have suddenly all got to have customs charges on them. There isn't enough staff to do that. <laughs> there isn't enough infrastructure. It's basically brand new infrastructure that you've suddenly had to implement and try and charge all these things so they can't catch them all. Otherwise your post would be horrendously delayed. And it, I, I believe it's just things are just getting through because they don't have the staff all the time. Also COVID. Um, yeah, that's it. Don't there's have the staff all the there's time. a whole just abundance of different different reasons and issues for why yeah. these things aren't be happening. I mean, I, I still don't necessarily think that the the, the actual law is, is too clear on it uh, myself either like I've, no not at all not i've at all. read i've read several different things several different times and i'm unsure uh, but i'm, I'm certainly going to keep buying i mean from my only experience so far of buying that one palancron from france that was totally fine definitely means yeah. that i will be purchasing more in the future from europe still uh, and i i assume you know I, I assume that you're right and you know six to twelve months down the line there will be some sort of more efficient system in place and more people yeah. might start see, you know we might start seeing charges or it might turn out that well the 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 cost of of these transactions fall below a certain threshold therefore no charges required or uh, or card market or maybe the the seller is going to handle the sort of extra charges on their end of the deal but i'm sure give it some time and it'll, it'll figure itself out definitely yeah, I imagine the threshold will be increased from whenever arbitrary number is currently at, just because it's not worth the amount that they're paying these people to do this job. Yeah. <laughs> to to charge, so it's why it's why like it's why there's a threshold, right? Because if you or you've you've bought something for 150 dollars from the states, they know that you'll probably spend another 80 quid to get it out of customers. Yeah. Because you've already spent 150 quid. What's another 80 quid? But if you sp- spent 20 dollars on something, you're not gonna like. Okay, I've lost. I've lost. I've lost whatever the conversion rate for 20 dollars is. Right? They know that you're not going to spend that again just to have something else. Yeah, yeah. But if it's a big item that you've already spent a lot of money on, you'll probably spend more money because you don't want to lose all that money. Um, but yeah, that's my current speculation on what's going on with uh, with why we aren't getting customs charges currently. But yeah, I mean that that's generally led to so there was all the speculation about what this meant and whether custom charges were going to happen, how much people were going to pay, whether you're going to have to pay VAT on things and everything like that. And that then then led people <clears throat> in their millions to start just 
pulling takes out of their actual rectum <laughs> about what would happen to the prices of magic cards. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're buying, if you if you're pricing your cards and you're, you're a UK seller selling in the UK, then you should add twenty percent to cover the VAT and potential customs charges on top of whatever the current <laughs> card market market price is. Like, what? What are you talking about? That's not the price of the card. That's the system in place that gets the card. To you me. can't just charge VAT. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I'm going to increase the price of my cards to cover VAT. No, no you're not. Absolute canister. <laughs> That's not how this works. You, you can't. You absolutely can't do that. Um, or or you know, potential customs charge, you need to charge more. No, that doesn't affect the price of the card. Especially that not during a transaction between a UK seller and a UK seller. Like, no. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But, like, oh, but that's the current market price. It's not the current market. The current market price of the card is still the current market price of the card. The, the extra that you're potentially paying on unpaid VAT, if it's a business selling to you through card market or through customs charges that you may have to pay when it enters the country are not the price of the card, they're the price of the transaction that gets it to you. Yeah, like just... That doesn't, you can't just say, I'm going to charge you £40 for this £30 card, because if you bought it from Europe, you're going to have to pay 25% more. Like, that's not... Yeah, <laughs> filter seller location UK, problem solved. Yeah, or just buy from Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that much of a big deal. It's, it's clearly, it's not currently... Again, time of recording, 20th of January, it's not currently a problem. Yeah. Just buy from Europe. Um... And then there were a bunch of people saying, oh, you should you should just buy from UK sellers. I'm like, Look, first of all, you should definitely buy from UK sellers. Buy from your LGS. If they have some kind of click-and-collect service, use it. If they have an online store, use it. Maybe just ask if, ask them if you could, you know, put £20 onto a credit account or something just to use in the future so they've got money, right? Um, give money to UK stores, um, any UK store, because they're all struggling right now, and I know this, <laughs> first of all, first-hand, and just generally because it's true. Um, buy, buy from UK stores. If, if you were going to, you know, buy some commander cards from someone in, in, in Europe... Or on the trade group, maybe consider paying 10, 15, 20 percent more and getting it from a from a from a you know a small independent <laughs> magic selling business, right? Do that instead. But also, if you want like random bullshit Japanese commander foils, I'm not going to get them from anyone in the UK because they probably don't exist in this country. Yeah. Or the people that have them have them for a reason because they're in a collection or in a deck. Sometimes I have to buy from. Again, have to is. It's you know a superfluous word when I'm talking about. It's a choice word, yeah. Magic, exactly. But you know what I mean. Like if if I would like to buy this, then my only option is to buy from card market. Yeah. I, mean, I have to do like you know I, I I collect Japanese cards right. Like most of my legacy collection is Japanese, and there isn't a big market of Japanese cards in the UK. Yeah, very much the same so. when it comes to like stuff that I specifically like. Like when I was buying my beta dark rituals, most of those came from the US. So they just there was there was none yeah. available in the UK. And it was cheaper and far more just far more cost effective to buy them from from the US or US eBay sellers than it was buying them from Europe because the supply is lower, therefore they're more yep. expensive. Yep, that's the thing. Like if you filter on certain cards, if you filter to UK sellers only on card market, then you won't get any results. Yep. Um, and I won't broach into Liliana market because that's a whole deal at the moment. Uh, but if you it's Lili- currently owned by Card Market, one hundred percent. Again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. But if you go, if you went onto Liliana Market, which a lot of people said, just use Liliana Market because card market, like whatever. Um, you went on and there were like three underground seats for sale. Yeah. <laughs> if I go into card market, there were like a hundred and fifty for each printing of. Okay, we're not Alphabet or Unlimited, but for you know FBB, FWB, and Revised, there were like a hundred and fifty for each of those categories for underground seats. Yeah, I. Because the market's I've huge. Sold so I, I've. Technically, I've sold zero cards on, on Liliana Market, but I did put a couple of cards up there just to sort of test the waters. Uh, and then a pandemic happened, so the, the one sale that I did make, I, yep. I quickly 
pulled, apologised, said, you know, pandemic, I'm not going to the post office, unfortunately. Uh, here's a refund. But uh, that one sale was for, um, what's it called? The You know the Secret Lair cats? What's the commander cat called? Is it Arabo? Arabo? Arabo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sold one of those for £50. Jesus. Yep. Did you end up selling it in the end? Have you still got uh, it? No, I've still got it. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't put my. I didn't realize my account was still active and not in holiday mode, and just got an email through saying somebody had bought it because I was the only, I was the only one on the site. It was the only one listed yeah, exactly, on the site. The point, yeah. I put it up for fifty pounds. Yeah, somebody bought it. Uh, you know, I put that the price of that thinking nobody ever would, and then I get an email saying, "Oh, somebody's bought it," and there was a pandemic on, and I was like, "Oops, okay, sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll refund you instantly." But also, you can purchase it cheaper from here. Here's a link to Card Market. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if I look at that now, Arabo War, War of the World from um, from Secret Lair, uh, roughly about twenty euros. Yeah. Average card market price, and there are currently fifty articles available. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's just so many that you have so much to choose from that uh, it. It just makes it make more sense, right? Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. And Card Market has years and years and years of, of history and people working on it and making it the system it is today and sellers and people that have built up feedback over years and years and years. It's just this is you can't just suddenly be like, oh, I'm going to devise my own UK based magic marketplace. Because honestly, we're small fry in terms of the world, right? Yeah. The UK magic buying and selling scene is very, very, very small. It only exists generally because it's in part with Europe. Because there's a European magic scene, there's an APAC magic scene, and there is a an American magic scene, like North America, um, and then Europe is its own thing, right? Like the UK can't exist on its own, yeah, because it just doesn't have most of the stock of like all this nonsense that people trade, people want to buy, um, and that's why card market was good because you can get your niche stuff. So like generally, my rule would be if you want to buy steel product or standard rares. Or recently raised rares, so like you know rares from Double Masters or whatever, go to an LGS or go to um, a UK Magic retail, retailer. And if you're looking for niche random bullshit or reserve stuff, go on Card Market. Yep. That's generally the rule of thumb I would use. Um, unless you know your LGS has a really good deal on a plateau, I don't know, buy it from them. Um, but this is the thing, and and then leading onto that is the difference between European and North American markets is that they're vastly different in what their player base generally up until the pandemic where commander is just the only format that matters yes. <laughs> um yeah i'd say definitely definitely, they're, definitely they're up until different. 2020 there was a there was a massive disparity between uh yeah. those markets and then obviously the sort of apac slash japanese market is is very different as well yeah yeah exactly and and this is these things we're having these discussions being like oh okay well we can't use card market now which is just an absurd assertion to make because you definitely can use card market to price cards and should because they're the current going rate of, of a market price of a card in europe which is where you live <laughs> even if we're not in the union of <laughs> we're still in europe right um and people are like oh well, i use tcg player which is just bizarre like why would you use tcg player to price your card like if, okay if you're using retail stores you're an idiot unless you're knocking off 30 percent if you're using card market, correct. If you're using TCG Play, it's a completely different market because you look at the price of cards. Like you listen to Commander podcasts and they'll say, oh, Cabal Coffers is $100. And you're like, what? And then you go on card market and it's still like 30 euros for a reasonable copy. Yeah, like literally, literally just like what I was saying before, like with the card specifically Fork. You look at look at TCG and like there are no near mint forks on TCG, but the last one that sold was $299. 
Uh, you look at Magic mm-hmm. Card Market and you can get a near mint fork for ninety eight euro. Exactly. 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 Like they serve different. They serve different markets. They serve different player bases. So generally, <clears throat> again, another another heuristic to use is the American market. Germany serves commander players and casual cards. Yeah. Um, and the European market generally serves competitive cards for, you know, your return on formats, right? Yeah. Modern, I guess, pioneer now, kind of, but that's a whole mess. Uh, legacy vintage, like those are where those. So the prices are very, very different. So like snapcasters tend to be generally be cheaper in in the states uh, than they do here, and stuff like cabal coffers and stuff tends to be cheaper here than it is in the states because America has much more of a commander market. We have much more of a competitive scene. And that's again <laughs> up until last yeah. year when you know everything went mad and everyone was just playing commander and competitive cards just didn't make any money. Um, but they do, but you know what I mean. Um, so using that to price it is ridiculous because you can say, oh well, based on TCG play, this card is worth this, and like okay, if I go to card market and even if I go to you know Troll Trader or Magic Madhouse or Axiom now, their their prices are completely off yours because you've just used an arbitrary number. And if you're using both of those, even if you're using both of those numbers to do a trade, right? <coughs> So you're both you're both using you both use TCG player. That's still not the same because the value of your card when you when you have it and are trying to move it in Europe is different to the value than it would be if you were trying to move it in America. Yeah. So the prices don't match up. So card market is still the best way to do it because we we're still in Europe. There is I can guarantee you still massive trading going on between the UK and Europe in terms of Magic cards, and we're still part of that market. So that's still the price, and the price is still the price of the card. The amount that you have to pay for shipping is not the price of the card. <laughs> That's not how it works. Like, sure, there is a benefit to buying from the UK, from from the trade group or from sellers, because you do not have to pay the postage, right? Yeah. So if you're buying something for forty euros from Card Market and it costs you nine euro shipping, if you bought a card for forty pounds from the UK, you can pay one pound. The prices have just gone up, and I've left raw now, so I don't know. Um, but the price of signed postage is two pounds, right? So you're paying forty two pounds instead of forty nine euros, just slightly cheaper, and you get it quicker. But still, the price of the card is the same. So just don't buy from Europe, but still, that's the price of the card. You can't let the fact that potential customs charges and postage charges will affect that price influence how much you price your card at. Because that's absurd. Yeah. That's not how this works. And it's just trying to get... This is the thing. This is what all the thoughts have been bubbling in my head and making me go absolutely crazy <laughs> messaging you about it every every minute of the day. Um, it's just that, that the price of the card doesn't change just because the service that gets the card to you has changed. It's still the price of the card. Yeah. Fully, fully agree. And also, and also, even if they did go up a bit, and maybe European sellers changed their prices, or like there was, you know, did, did it cost more to, to, to send to the UK and everything? That's not going to make a huge difference. It's going to incrementally, by a couple of percent, make a difference in the in the price of a card. Yeah. Basically, don't go to Magic Madhouse, type in the name of your card, and then try and sell it for that amount. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Don't do that. You'll look like a fool, and you will not sell your card. Most importantly, I'm just checking if we have any forks in stock. We don't. <laughs> Our out of stock price on fork is twenty two pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, I think that Germany covers it. Yeah, I think so. It was a, it was a, a lot there, a lot to take in. I think, but I, yeah, hopefully my ramblings made some semblance of sense. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they did to me at least, and that's that's the thing with this. Like, there's not, there's not an exact science to it. I think it's it's more of an art than a science, like a hundred percent. But there are there are certain heuristics that I think are, are good to learn, and certain certain ways and certain expectations that you should have as as a magic player uh, if you are interested in yes. just getting the most out of your cards and also not shortchanging yourself. Just un- yeah, I mean, understanding. It's understanding. Yeah, hundred percent. 
just yeah you, you've got to understand the market you've got to understand why cards are the price they are yeah because you have a lot of people that go oh why is this card worth so much like, okay because of all of these factors <laughs> it's an old card it sees lots of play there aren't many copies that like there are loads of factors it card, cards generally just aren't arbitrary arbitrarily priced even pre-orders when the you know pre-ordering cards is generally a bad thing to do because one you probably know less than the people that are talking about that card and and to just buy it when it comes out when the price is settled. Yeah. But pre-ordering cards is generally a bad idea because you'll you'll pay twenty quid for a card and end up with a with a two pound card. Or one hundred and fifty for a dual lotus. Oh my god, we sold one. It's so good. Um, this is the thing you generally shouldn't do that because you don't. But even with pre-orders, people generally the prices are reflected over the hype around it, right? Yeah. Which is why Jordan Lotus was pre-selling for one hundred and fifty pounds, yeah. and it's now about forty. I guess. I guess it again. Uh, I, I I probably have a little bit to interject with with here, like when it comes to to buying stuff from from the UK as opposed to buying stuff from Europe, and maybe one of the, you know one of the reasons why I guess when we're thinking about like the timing of like when you're buying cards, it's it's not applicable currently, but it has definitely been applicable in the past. Um, something that came up in a discussion for me this week was people in the UK willing to pay a bit more of a premium to buy from other people in the UK as opposed to buying them from Europe. And that's because in the past, people people required cards for FNM. If you put a post up on a Monday saying, "Oh, I've got these cards for sale," and your cards are slightly, just slightly more expensive than they would be if they were buying them from like Germany or Italy on Magic Card Market, somebody who needs those cards for FNM on Friday, they're going to snap them up. They're going to pay that slightly bit of a premium. Obviously, that's not something that we see in in this world. But you know, stuff like that is is just one more thing that you need to be aware of, definitely. You know, it's like yeah, I yeah. I sold I sold a playset of Nexus of Eight for a hundred pounds because somebody needed them for a tournament, so I sent them with with guaranteed fast track shipping. Like, yeah, well, that's the thing. You 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 see this when you go around GP halls, right? Yeah. RIP. Um, and people are paying absurd prices on standard rares or standard uncommons because they just need them for for the for the tournament, right? Yeah. Like I saw people paying two pounds each for say Wayfinders. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really good in the Hogak deck, and no one had them, and now they're like 9p. <laughs> like, you have to understand the factors that go into this, and there are people that are, that are talking a big game, and I, I understand I'm, you know, in a certain way, talking a big game, um, <clears throat> but I do have a lot of understanding of this. Yeah. Um, I like to think so, at least. Um, this is one of the only things I'm good at in the habit. Um, and it's people who have just done a few low ball sales, and I'm not trying to, you know, shit on people who are. You know, just dealing in small numbers because I mean, I make loads of small sales of twenty p chaff all the time. But I've done a few sales and seem to think they think they understand it. And there's so much more than than meets the eye on what goes into the price of cards, how cards get to you, how they get bought and sold, than than just this is the price of a card. I'll buy it for this. Yeah. And spikes and yeah, like I think the the one of the the things about the pandemic is that all these reservist cards will they won't go down to where they were before, but they will go down after this. Yeah, hundred percent. Because the, because all the copies have been bought up, there are none in circulation, the price is just randomly determined, and then they'll flood back into the market once the, the chain that we talked about earlier comes back into effect. Yeah, that's it. The people, you know, the vast majority of people buying these cards aren't buying them to play them. They're buying them to make money from them, and how do you make money from them? Selling them back into the system. Currently, the system's kind of yep. shut off, but when that system opens up again, those people that bought them are going to make a lot of money, uh, and, you know, more copies of that card flooded into the market. The buy price, the buy list prices on those cards will come down, and that kind of that kind of really sets the whole the whole market prices. Really, like buy list prices are, are a massive driving factor between like behind the, the price of every single card. And once that supply chain does open back up, and 
stores are buying those cards in you know on mass again then those clothes prices will drop so if you are thinking of purchasing yeah. like a wheel of fortune or a guy's cradle or underground sea or whatever yeah. don't like give it eight months give it eight months yeah there are certain cards i would have recommended buying about a week ago in the reservist cards that you will probably make money on or would get them at a reasonable price if you just wanted to play them which is what i've done with time sparrows um but now is just not a good time to buy anything yeah just wait it will get cheaper than it currently is i i almost guarantee i guarantee yeah i, I, I guarantee 100 percent guarantee we've seen there's it before a, we'll see it again 100 percent. there's a couple of cards that you could probably buy now but by the time this episode goes up those will no longer be good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but yeah like and, and again like you see it all the time with like you go around GP halls and stuff, and there's a buy list for fifty-five pounds, and then someone's selling it for fifty-six pounds. Yeah, a different a different vendor selling it for fifty-six pounds. They're not stupid. <laughs> they know what they're doing, right? And also, they're not just there to sell to you; they're there to buy from you and then make a couple of sales. They know what they're doing and they know what their pricing is, so they buy it for fifty-five pounds, and then they can sell it to their player base where they're from for you know seventy pounds. Yeah. And then the people who are selling it for fifty-six pounds just have a surplus of copies they need to get rid of. Right, like there are always reasons. It's not just random, determined, determined numbers that no one has any idea. You can track all of this. You can track every price spike. You can track every price incremental increase of a card. Right, if you're paying attention. Also, my main piece of advice is don't pay attention because you'll go completely (laughs) and just (laughs) buy a copy of a card when you feel comfortable paying that price. It's just go on a feeling like I've overpaid for cards and I do not care about it. Like I've sold cards that are now worth, you know, a thousand pounds. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Pay a price you're currently comfortable paying, and you're not going to cripple yourself paying. But never spend more than you need on magic cards, please. Um, but it, it's all just—it's all just a, a system that you'll never fully understand. And don't try because it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome, cool. I think that was a a good spiel on on MTG finance. It's always—I think it's always fun just to do a big yeah. deep dive in it. It's something that we we both are very. Very much interested in because it is it is fascinating there are so many moving parts and it is as yeah. much of a, a hobby as like just actually playing the game is itself and yeah it's interesting yeah. i don't know if it's coming through on the mic but i'm feeling very hoarse <laughs> <laughs> feeling a bit chesty after that just monologue yeah it's uh <laughs> it's it, it's certainly very interesting we are in very very uncertain unstable times i think when it comes to the magic market as well but i say the one thing that we can't guarantee is if, if, if you were looking to buy a Wheel of Fortune, if you were looking to buy a Guy's Cradle, be patient, be patient. Uh, it will come back down. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the money that you save not buying it now and then buying it for a lower price, you'll, 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 you'll vastly appreciate I think. But definitely, cool, definitely. I think that's all we have time for, for this week. Uh, let us know mm-hmm. your feelings. How do you feel about those new Kaldheim cards that we touched on at the start of the episode? And let us know your feelings on MTG Finance as well. Uh, are, are you somebody who has different feelings to us as far as the market goes? Uh, are you somebody who is part of a shadowy cabal who constantly buys out reserveless cards? Uh, do you, I do wish, you, I wish I was. Yeah, do you want to buy I some don't. old old Pokemon boosters for like £400 a piece? Come <laughs> come talk to me. <laughs> Hit us up on, uh, on various places on social media and get us on Twitter. We are at HFDCast, facebook.com slash HFDCast. Or if you've really enjoyed anything that you've heard in the show today and would like to give back in a monetary amount, you can hit us up on Patreon. We are patreon.com slash hour of devastation. The tiers start from as little as one dollar per month. That's roughly twenty to twenty-five cents per episode. Yeah. Uh, it feels weird now that I'm gonna say give your money to people that need it and you know, yeah. keep it to yourself because <laughs> you might need it soon. When I've just talked about buying Buy Bitcoin. Okay. 
yeah. I mean, he, no, he don't, don't, don't buy Bitcoin. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, I feel weird asking for money after just talked about how much I buy magic cards. <laughs> Give us money so I can buy more reservist cards. Um, <laughs> you, you can find the podcast on Spotify and SoundCloud and Stitcher and iTunes. I'll get that in my head at some point. Uh, if anyone goes to one of those platforms and leave us a review or a comment or a rating, we really appreciate it. Or just share it with people because we want more people to hear it. Totally. You can find me on my own personal social media. On Twitter, I am at PeachGardenOaf. Facebook, I'm Joe Loudon. I'm in pretty much any of the magic groups. I'm sure you'll see me sharing my feelings about the reserve list and how it's never going away, even though it should. I also stream on Twitch. You can catch me at twitch.tv slash peachgardenoaf. I stream some sort of magic content every Friday night. Uh, we have fun with Cube. We do some some legacy. That's something that I'm going to be doing soon as well. Got that Mana Traders account off and going. Uh, and yeah, every Saturday on Sunday, sort of alternate weeks, we play some fun party games and just have a nice variety stream. It's good fun. Come check it out. You can find me on Twitter at snow69. Nice. Thank you. Uh, you know decrying the evils of capitalism while just engaging with capitalism <laughs> how dare it that meme that I? meme where it's like aha you criticize the system yet you are part of the system yeah right like, you tweet about how iphones are bad on an iphone oh my god <laughs> my brain being, is big yeah i'm the physical embodiment of that meme <laughs> <laughs> awesome that's all we have time for this week uh, once again we're approaching the second hour the god has returned so we'll see you again next week on our devastation